They just came on now. Let's try to get closer to the stage. Sorry. Do you want to go on my shoulders? Yeah, that'd be unreal, thanks. Wow. Three celebrates connections made by music this summer. Find out more at 3.ae forward slash music. Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball and today's guest is painter, sculptor, teacher, poet, author of The Third Eye. Yes, it's all just one man, Basil Eliadis. Basil, welcome. Thank you, Lee. Uh, I did want to open this interview with one of your pieces to give listeners a flavor of your style. Uh, but before we do that, um, you suggested in our pre-opening conversation that uh, I mentioned the way I was listening to Third Eye myself. I, I like to listen to CDs in the car because it's a, you know, it's a sort of um, total encapsulated experience. It's um, quite nice for me. And I was sort of toggling between your CD and uh, Peter Gabriel's Up!, and uh, it was an interesting experience for me because it was like going from one uni- universe full of light matter to another full of dark matter. It, they were almost opposite in the overall tone. Um, there is an incredible exuberance and upbeat quality to your work. Talk to me about that a bit. Well, um, I'm actually... I find it difficult to imagine um, sitting in a car listening to my own CD because when I listen back myself I'm I'm challenged by it I find it a a, um, a bit like writing a piece and then looking back at it some weeks or months later and wondering who was the person who put it together and I find uh, a lot of Peter Gabriel stuff very uplifting and um, positive and uh, reaffirming that kind of anthemic heroic way and when I perform my pieces I guess I feel that but when I listen back to them I'm too busy cringing to um, really get that lift and I find the act of writing um, revolutionary in the in that it rewrites who I am and, and um, it provides an opportunity a, a means a river of a stream of creativity some way of rewriting almost you know the cellular memory of who I was five minutes ago or, or how something affected me so to, um, to perform the piece for me, it's often a, almost an out-of-body experience or a completely in-body experience. But then to hear it back later is uh, pretty challenging. Do, do you have to objectify the, the reader from the, the actual reader who's reading the poem from you, the person? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. And, and it's interesting you mention that because, you know, as a, a listener, sometimes I feel your work is so personal, even intimate. Um, you know, I, I wonder, do, like, do, do you or, or, you know, your loved ones and sometimes the subjects ever feel like there's, there's almost too much of you being given out? Or do, you feel, <laughs> or do you feel that all poetry is self-revelation and handing over something from beneath the skin? Uh, look, uh, yeah, a good example of that is, is possibly my, my paintwork, my exhibitions, because um, I've had people say to me that it's so much easier to look at the work if I'm not in the room and that's uh, absolutely true because I have 
I guess my greatest flaw as a person is um, looking for external validation rather than internal validation. So the act of hammering my heart up on the wall or my feelings or anything else or even, even saying that you know, publicly is a fairly um, challenging thing. So to turn that inward and say, okay, how can I make this a more personal, intimate um, connection with myself without needing to um, offer it more broadly is also something that I've been through many times. So the artwork is often better looked at without my presence and some people say they can only look at one image or one painting because it's too big. And I find um, this work in Third Eye, the third book, is similarly, uh, it's almost overworked. It's so dense, it's so... Uh, there's so, so much um, consideration given to every phrase and every image and every word. But then if there wasn't that amount of attention and energy and care taken with the work, it would be pointless. Um, some of the work in my first book and, and even the second one probably shouldn't be there because it's not good enough. It's too simple. It's too thrown up. And I'd rather take it that extra step. Sure. Well, let's, um, let's let the listeners um, hear a bit of your work. Can you read us something? Sure. Uh, let's see. The uh, essence and form was one that uh, you asked if we can play it from the CD and we can make that happen, so I'll start with that one. Right. Essence and form. Are you asleep now? Awake and remember. And... Suddenly I was drowning. Sound too bright, air too dense, irises contracted, breath calibrated against the immoderate gases. Epochs condensed to seconds. Time condensed into everything and nothingness. The circular universe biting its own bum as love and hate jostle, forming massive loops from the plasma I exist in and the membrane that's holding me in me too thin. For abruptly I was drowning. In this infinity of an instant, I am wading, treading, running to and from, inaccessible, certain death just there. And certain death means growing, owning my molecular, emotional remains, independent of another, impossibility irrelevant now. The tide likely shone upon each other is bruised and bent. Shadows now illuminate the ceramic whispers that consciousness eludes. Elixirs of repentance, impotence, impotent as sorrow's function fails and change aches into growth. In an instant I was drowning, sinking, submerged, soaked, wallowing in self-saturated turmoil, self-induced inundation and gulping Walk out my mayday, seeking solace anywhere, saw the waves rise high above me, felt the fathoms boom beneath, grasped the profound depths of my ocean, measured my stride in the tide and strong, began to swim again. And I don't know where I'm going, for it must be somewhere new. You too will grow up with this. Thank you. That was remarkably like the reading you did on the CD. <laughs> Without the music, of course. M must have been me on the CD then. <laughs> I'm convinced it was you now. There we go. Um, 
I'm not sure if I answered your question earlier. It, it occurred to me as I was rambling along through that, that I may have missed the, um, the question, which was, that was is, there, um, is it sometimes too personal? And, and um, yes, definitely sometimes that is. <laughs> do, you, do you get criticised? <laughs> no, no. It's in fact, if anything, I, I get um, I get a positive response from it. Um, you know, one person said it was the uh, you know the personal made universal, and and I mean that's high praise indeed. And uh, um, I think that's the point of it all. That Arthur and my friends, we talk fairly openly about how we're doing and what we're thinking and what we're feeling and where our um, life path is at at any given moment, and um, so yeah, it's not about um, whether it's too honest for others. I guess the question is whether it's um, too honest for myself. I don't know. Yes, and I suppose that you know poetry can't really be too honest. Exactly. But, but, but the reason I, I particularly um, linked into that piece, um, firstly, because it's you know it's a beautiful example of the way music and words come together on the CD. But also, um, it, it is very much the case, for me as a, a reader anyway, that um, your work does twist that personal into something universal. I and mean, it, it seems to, um, you know, again, work between those two areas where, you know, you're talking about your personal struggle, but you're also talking about the whole notion of creativity and how it works. Mm-hmm. And those two things are happening simultaneously because you feel the personal struggle as a reader at the same time as you, you know, you see that there's, this is a universal message. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess I'm very interested in, in the energetic world. And by saying that, I mean uh, the physical world at its, um, at its most uh, minute, in its most minute detail and clarity. Um, it's talking about spirituality and... Um, consciousness taken to the point of pure energy. So when I look at something, I do very much see it from multiple perspectives and um, it, you know, have often said that I can turn any object into a lecture or any, you know, any um, theory into a, a couple of days worth of ranting. Um, so it, yes, it is that process of looking through a, an object and seeing it for for the many things that it is, or, or seeing an experience from multiple perspectives and understanding that, that my take on any conversation or discussion is really only my very limited perspective. And even if I get completely with somebody else is coming from, um, so often I, we don't. We completely miss where what somebody else's motivations and um, intentions in, in their um, words and actions are which is extraordinary to consider in the process of writing. Um, and I, I talk about the moment of reception and, and openness, which is um, a composite spark kind of sets in process, um, a form, a, a sets in process a, an access to words and images and ideas. And pieces um, like why in the book are very much about that being in the city and in, in a rush getting a download about everything that's happening in a square block and, you know, pouring it onto the page and then reworking it over six months um, and going, okay, this is how it has to be worked, this is how it has to be worked in order to get it. 
So I get the whole poem in, you know, 10 minutes or so, rework it in six months, think it's finished. And then a mate who hears it comes over with a book of um, writings by Ginsberg and says, this is so like the Ginsberg poem, have a look. And I go, oh my God, I've got copied Ginsburg, how pathetic is that? Thank you, Ginsburg, and that's why I stuck in that line. Uh, I read poetry because I should have read what Ginsburg read when I wrote this. I hadn't. <laughs> so. And yet I didn't think of Ginsburg at all. Right? <laughs> maybe you should have used a harmonium on the CD. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But I was so impressed with, with the, the subtlety that you did pick up in my, um, in my work when you reviewed it. Um, everything from just that... Um, those few words are more the peer-driven dead demanded and you thought that that was a Hopkins, uh, Germanly Hopkins style, you know, the sprung rhythm of, um, you know, mm. I caught this morning, morning's mini and kingdom of daylight's dauphin, you know, dappled dawn drawn falcon in his writing, you know, to pick that up in that was um, really beautiful for me. So thank you. That's all right. There's a new one up now as well. I'll send you a link as soon as we finish. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> On the C- about the CD. In, in oh, oh, great. Um, but tell me about the collection itself. How did it come together in a book? Did, did the work originate separately as individual pieces, or did you pull it together or write it with a single purpose? Uh, the first couple of books came out. Um, the first one I published by myself, and then the second one was put together by a UK mob. Um, and this one, each of those came together in about a year or two. And this one, I didn't know was happening. I was just writing and writing and writing for about six, seven years, and then um, sent some stuff into Interactive, and uh, David Reiter contacted me and said, look, it's great, let's, let's do something with it, and I had uh, a lot of work. I mean, there was probably double this number of pieces, um, and we culled and worked and argued about commas and whether I should have double commas here or there, and which word should be where, and why these bloody words upside down and stuff like that, which was fabulous. A really, really great process to go through. Um, but I think it mirrored my path from the, um, from the overt um, emotional response to the world or an overt intellectual response to the world or an overtly physical response to the world. This one's starting to tie those together. So it's looking at everything from a physical, emotional, mental and spiritual perspective. Mm. And tell me about the CD. At, at what point did you or um, Interactive Press decide to create this whole new work, which is, you know, in many ways is a different um, experience altogether? Well, I work on a lot of things at the same time. So at the moment, for example, I'm developing um, images to go with these. So one piece, why, has a has a image piece of a video piece that goes with it, and with uh, Oliver Patch, we're doing an animated piece to accompany um, triage for New Year and IVF, which I, I think is too difficult to listen to. I can't listen to that piece. It's too orchestral. It's too the words are too thick. It's too laboured almost. And yet I can see that with a um, an animated drawing to accompany it, which are just black and white charcoal drawings run over and over and over, that will open it up and free it up. Um, so it wasn't a conscious process of, okay, now we're going to do the CD. It was more, um, I'm doing these pieces. Alfred Abraham, wonderful guy, um, was doing some recording. He recorded some of them verbally. We started playing around with the music. We both started playing it and recording it and mixing it. And then he was the 
mastermind technician organizing it all. And it just came together. And then David said, great, as it goes, that's, that's fabulous. Let's, let's master it and, and put it out as a CD. So there's always another project, another layer to the um, process. And they all happen simultaneously, I guess. Mm. And, and yet, you know, when, when you're listening to the CD, you're driving the reader's experience, of course. It's in your voice. Whereas reading the book, it's in the reader's voice. Mm. We always have our yes. experiences. And also, you've got the structure on the page, which you, you don't have on the CD, which also drives us. And for example, I mean, one very striking example for me is uh, Brett Whiteley. Yeah. Where you've got all those little notations on how, how the life is meant to be you know, sort of done. And it's, it's funny. Um, and then you read them. I guess when you read them, you, did you use those notations to guide how you read it? Well, what I was trying to do was get across this idea that, I mean, I can't, I, I have such difficulty listening to poetry when people are reading it out and it's this kind of, you know, oh, I walked and my love died. And, you know, the, the dying inflection on the end of the line and the weak, um, the weak presentation. And I don't consider my work, my, my readings of my work performance at all. It's just giving the words enough room to breathe by themselves. That's all I'm doing. And I'm aware even as I say that, that I'm speaking typically, so I'll slow down a bit. But when I was doing that widely, I was trying to get across just how significant um, the space, the spaces around the words are, like the spaces around the image or around a performance. And um, even managed to chuck in a funny reference to Roald Dahl there. It says about halfway through, exegetically, uh, um, which is a word that he used, that Roald Dahl uses in uh, The Great Automatic Grammatization, which is about the death of all writers. It's a wonderful short story. Um, so it was really trying to get a sense of the musicality of it and also making it overt that there is a better way to present a piece and that includes verbal dynamics and um, different uh, speeds and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's playing with it, but it's also being um, encouraging and also stating that there is a that there is a very strong a, a verbal aesthetic to which um, I encourage people to move. Yes, and that's a, a typical piece which demonstrates what a, a genre bender you are. <laughs> I have to say that. <laughs> Um, you know that that you know you're, you're looking at, at I guess you're looking at a, a visual artist with words yeah. and using you know performance and voice and sound to um, illuminate that. So there's you know there's it's a very much synthesis you know the multiple um, set of of um, senses that you're engaging with the reader when you perform yeah. that. I, I I like this idea that when I first saw, I, I'd seen the book of course and I'd heard the music and the words over and over again, but when I first saw the CD on the computer screen so the words were on the screen and you click the icon and the, and the sound comes over the top, that was one of the first times I really felt good about my work. I actually felt as though I had nailed some form of communication because the person listening to the CD or watching the screen, which happened to be me, could see the concrete layout of the words, hear them, and be immersed in the experience in a way that previously I, I don't think I'd been able to 
feel I had nailed. So that felt very powerful and, and very positive. Mm. Can you do another piece for us? Sure, sure. Um, I might do one more from Third Eye, and I might wrap up with um, a piece from my first book because uh, it's a bit of an anthemic one that uh, I haven't done for a while. But I will do the title piece from Third Eye. I should do a little one, actually. These are too big. Here we go. Third Eye. A soulmate is a dream from the womb. All heroes are God-begotten, called to task by a higher self, and they die anyway. The furtive currents in our souls are not GPS or mortal charted. Only enigmatic gods dare estimate their eddies, although heroes are God-begotten, and, we perceive, they diminish anyway. We are oriented not to trust the choreography of possibility. The core beliefs of tomorrow already exist, thwarting, precluding, averting the printed rain, the proving sun, the weight of our last privilege. From chaos, stars emerge. They spin themselves from nothingness without the anchor of our beliefs and become heroes. Our frail perception of the brittle elasticity of our connection reveals so much in the moment it fails. A separate reality vibrates within reach. So what if poets fuck the zeitgeist? We warn tragedy away, beating our chests and heads, forcing resistance to rebound and reprise. The payoff is drama. Observe the noise in your head. Retract, recoil, resolve, erase. We, you know, heroes all. The dark does not exist when you turn on the light. Step lightly. Touch a teacher's toes. Serve. Love. Meditate. Realize this life is divine. We've worn tragedy away by breathing. Mm. Thank you for that. Cheers. I feel we need a moment of silence. <laughs> so, um, do, do you feel when you write? I mean, you you come to the party, I guess, with quite a lot of different um, areas of interest, areas that you work in. Do you feel that, in some ways, you're actually creating a type of art that sets a precedent? Um, that, that you know, this is working on the edge of what our technologies can do, and that the art of the future may well work beyond the boundaries of um, word on a page? Uh, look, I would <laughs> not dare to think that I was setting um, some new kind of standard. I mean, you know, Jean Cocteau was working at the absolute cutting edge of imagery and film and poetry and everything, you know, in, in the 50s. And um, he said something more like, I know poetry is indispensable, but to what I couldn't say... <laughs> Which is just fabulous. Um, certainly when, when the Etchings Journal came out um, beginning of last year, and um, I was the feature in that, and they had my ceramics and my poem and my writing and images of my paintings. When I saw all of those together, I kind of went, wow, okay, this is this is the first time that, that the ensemble's being allowed to 
refer to each other because our art forms have in the past been quite exclusive. If you're a painter, you're a painter only. If you think you're a writer as well, you've got to get, you're going to be a, a pretty poor writer. And um, similarly, if you're a writer and you think you're a painter, well, you're going to be a pretty crappy painter. So to be allowed to have these multiple dimensions of expression um, and to have them acknowledged is certainly... Yeah, it's feeling more complete. It's feeling more um, more evolved within me. And so I think that's why it's becoming more acceptable um, that I can do more than one thing and do it reasonably well. But I don't know that it's um, necessarily cutting edge. I mean, and, and Co. and, you know, all the way through to Pink Floyd and their uh, extraordinary stage shows and, and you know, Pink Floyd the Wall movie, um, all of that is word and image and text um, working in so many le- working at so many levels simultaneously um, uh, that's a good question <laughs> now do you feel that there's a thread though that does unite your work uh, you know I think one of the poems that I think of when I hear the poem Third Eye is um, William Carlos Williams um, Asphodel that greeny flower you know, every day, just in terms of meaning, perhaps, mm. alliteration too, but the, the meaning in particular about, you know, um, po- you, you can't find the news in poems, but, you know, every day men die miserably every day for lack of what's found there mm. yeah, as a theme. Mm. Um, I think that when... When I write something, uh, you, you wrote in, in the uh, review that you know, I cut across genres and, and um, you know, combine things like, like the Brit widely. But I don't know that... Well, it's certainly not an intentional act. Is that, is that what you're asking? Um, no, I'm, I'm looking for, the, I guess, a, a notion that you tend to keep coming back to, a thread that, that oh, know, unites all of your work. Poetry, oh, all right. Poetry, performance. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that, that, that keeps... Changing in the past, it was uh, you know the, the angst-ridden cry of the um, misunderstood you know twentieth-century um, male going, oh, "I'm alive! I'm not an animal! I'm a human being!" That kind of you know um, histrionic yell, and that that's changing over time as it becomes more of a an understanding of what that energy is and what that energy drives, and rather than being turned in on itself and becoming um, destructive, that it that it becomes a source of creativity, and then how does that then feed itself? Well, the food that I provide by writing is that I keep myself alive. So I'm I'm feeding my own soul. I'm feeding my own path, um, and so I'm I'm still unsure. I guess what it, what the thread is, other than um, I think it says, in, I think it's the opening of third eye that I cannot know you. I can only know myself, and therefore, um, I can only write honestly of my experience. And so, it is, you know, creating the story of my life and, and stepping through that on a, in the, you know, on a daily basis and trying to live the, um, trying to live as an artist and live a, a spiritual path on a very practical daily level because I. See that the role of the writer and the artist is a very much a spiritual path. It's the reason why they go to art school and what most of them don't understand, or most artists don't understand, what most people, I guess, don't understand is that 
each day that they're working, each day that they're exploring, what they're trying to do is discover their own world, discover what meaning this world has, and, and they're creating that. They're literally carving out their own existentialist uh, solution as opposed to their existentialist dilemma. And that wonderful idea about, you know, the question isn't um, what is the meaning of life, the question is what gives my life meaning. And to find that in every moment, to find that meaning in the writing of a phrase, in the developing of that into a story, the developing of that or the reduction of that into a poem, which is both a development and a reduction because you compress the words and intensify the meaning and the feeling, or to find it in, a, in an argument or in a, in a cleaning out the, the, the chukpu, to find that every day is, is a really big ask. And I think that's what my writing and painting is about. Sure. To warn tragedy away. Yeah, by breathing. <laughs> so tell, tell, uh, <laughs> tell me about some of your other projects. What are you working on now? Um, well, I'm writing. <laughs> Um, working towards an exhibition probably in uh, October in Dalesford at the Door 3 um, artist-run gallery studio spaces. Working at, at the school at Candlebark, uh, which is a wonderful place to be. Mm. Talk um, about Candlebark when you finished. <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> and um, uh, working on this animated film. Um, and working and at Candlebark making a couple of films with uh, the grade sixes and the year sevens. So, um, and they're hoping to make them, you know, full length feature films. They may switch to, I don't know, 20 minutes, half an hour, maybe an hour, I'm not sure at the moment. But that kind of stuff takes up a fair bit of time. And um, as well as that, doing a lot of work on my physical, mental, emotional, spiritual practices in terms of uh, meditation and, and uh, martial arts and um, that kind of stuff. So all that takes a fair bit of time and provides a fair bit of energy and uh, looking after children as well. Sure. And so, And what makes Candlebark different from other schools? Oh, it's wonderful. It's, uh, it's just an extraordinarily um, liberal place to be in that, you know, the sense of, of liberation and freedom. Um, it has a strong... Um, intellectual angle and that there's an academic rigor about the, about the work that's produced but there's also an enormous amount of freedom to be creative and uh, come up with uh, great ideas or crazy ideas to which um, staff all say yes and uh, I'm not the only one who comes up with those of course there's all the other teachers have wonderful, wonderful um, ideas and creativity to which everyone responds with a yes and, and that largely under the guidance of John Marsden, our principal and fabulous leader who has enough wonderful ideas as well to keep us all on our toes. So there's a, cons there's a constant stream of reinventing school and every day is different and um, every week is certainly different. And that, um, that flow, that uh, ability to offer a new idea and a new... Um, a new approach to any given subject just gives such enormous freedom and such flow to, to the day. And, and does it inspire your work, do you find, working with children? Mm, does it inspire my work? It, yes, absolutely. It, it, um, I have to think for a moment because a lot of it is, is guidance, but um, 
yes, the the words and images that come out of them are so staggeringly honest and beautiful at times. Um, I did a big project with Castle Main Secondary College last year, which produced a book called Show Don't Tell, uh, which was about 140 pages of um, stories, poetry, and images to accompany them, all done in lino cuts, which were guided by Real Plant, the wonderful printmaker. And that was just an extraordinary um, adventure into creativity. And, and um, the poems have such poise and such elegance. Um, and so much of, of what is produced by children can have that if, if they're given the space to create it rather than um, asking for specific outcomes. Sure. Wonderful. Now, um, one more question, and then I think we have to um, end with your last poem. Sure. Um, is there a dream project you'd love to work on if there were no limits uh, or a dream collaboration, some gap you want to fill? Yeah, lots of them. <laughs> Uh, I'd love to work. Uh, one of my I, one of my dreams, the, 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 what seems to be a beautiful creative process, would be working on something like Friends, the American sitcom series, which no longer exists. But apparently, their writing process for that was twenty brilliant writers sitting around a table with stenographers sitting around them and they just threw lines at each other all day and the stenographers took down everything they said and they just seems to me to be a, a gorgeous um, way of spending the day throwing you know, brilliant one-liners at each other. Um, not that I could necessarily contribute much, but I'd love to be in there. Um, I'd love to work on, on some more film. I love the film process and uh, to do it with um, mad creative people, uh, great writers and uh, image uh, producers. And um, another dream is to just... Um, get a studio on a coast of Ireland somewhere or um, anywhere else, basically, and just spend uh, months at various points around the world and, and paint in silence. So I, I guess I balance my um, written and spoken stuff, which you know pours out with days of silence in the studio, and that's a good balance for me. So I think that after I do a big project, the idea of finding a secluded studio somewhere and painting for a month or three is uh, is beautiful but a little difficult at the moment with children but um, that's okay it'll come wonderful okay can you finish up with a poem sure this is um, this is one of my favourites this is uh, This Life I Love I Leap To from my first book I do not duck behind a rock to watch Diana suckle speed and stag I would not whisper on a phone of pads and plugs of sterile sort. This life I love I leap to, embracing flu and smoke and noise, crap TV and cold outside, now hunched and headaches, sweating rivers down my fingers, down my pen, and shaking, am I cold or hot or wet? But never mind. This life I love, I leap to. I'd rather die a thousand deaths, and this I do most every day. The wither without knowing every nerve and cell that drives me on. Run, I tell you. Run and curse and yell your laughter. Shout it out and spurt your seed on soil and air, on limb and naked flesh. Fornicate in open air for nature mother's best. 
Oh, no, sweetlings. Fuck and celebrate your era. Prophylactics, moral freedom, self-determination. Dance. This life I love, I leap to, and I drink to. Here and now I proudly howl and raise my head and fist. Declaim my right to love the moon. To love it now. Now I love and not tomorrow. I am not a future buyer. I am here at least today. And in this here and now I fully burn and rave, consume the sky, the very earth and evening rays of sun I grasp and squeeze, exploding myths along the way. <laughs> of course we just lie. Of course we sleep with gods and race the sun. Oh, this life I love I leap to. And when the evening peace begins, and a thousand burning energies attack my aching limbs, then I celebrate the twitch in every nerve and every vein. For through this body which I live in, over life I reign. I feel like the day can be all bright and positive now. Thank you, Basil. <laughs> Pleasure. Thank you so much, Magdalena. Uh, next month, we will again change tack with uh, author Aaron Paul Lazar. Aaron writes literary mysteries um, a la Chesterton. His latest is Tremolo, Cry of the Loon, and Aaron will be talking about that and lots more. See you then. Thanks again, Basil. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.